We'll open up the Bible to the book of Habakkuk. I'm a little intimidated this morning, more so than often, because over the last couple weeks, more people than often ask me, so Andy, what are you going to preach today? And uh, I think they, they realized I wasn't going to continue the book of Job, and so we'll save that, Lord willing, when Andy returns, and he'll, he'll finish that. But, I, um, but when I said Habakkuk, and I'm not kidding, there were at least four or five over the last two weeks, when I said Habakkuk, a few of those four or five just continue to look and waited and, oh, you're serious, okay, great. And then one very close to me, maybe inside my own family, shared, so, so how's that going to apply? Are you going to apply it to, to, to everyone this morning? So my prayer is that, that God, it will be very applicable. Matter of fact, the scripture that we're, going to look, that we're looking at today, it is genuinely one of my favorite passages in scripture, um, especially in the old, when it comes to the Old Testament, maybe even all of scripture. It's one that has um, really been uh, challenging to me. And as we look at this text, though, we're going to see a heroic a heroic moment where a man of God stood firm in the face of opposition. Now, oftentimes when we think of heroic moments, we think of men and women who, uh, facing outward persecution, stood firm in, uh, at the face of death. Think people like uh, John Huss, who was just a godly man who actually, he made a statement. He wanted everyone to be diligent to the Word of God. And he, he laid his whole life on the line for the truth of the Scripture. He was imprisoned for his faith, and after frequent attempts to try to coerce Huss to recant his faith, he never wavered, and he was burned at the stake in July, on July 6th, 1415. Or maybe we think of people like William Tyndale. William Tyndale said he was, uh, he was committed to doing one thing, and that was to get the, the, uh, the Bible into the English language so that every individual that spoke English that in his country would be able to read the Word of God. And he stood firm, and it, and it eventually cost him his life. Now, one of Tyndale's famous last words were, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life, Ere many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the Scripture than the Pope. Well, at 42 years of age, that tenacity for the Word of God, that conviction, that bold standing firm in that face of opposition cost him his life. And a few more, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, it was on this weekend, literally yesterday, uh, in 1555, October 16th, 1555, they were, they were also burned at the stake. And they had a moment. They, they spent 18 months together in a tower cell. On the same day, they were led to the stake, and they both had a moment to encourage the other person. Ridley was the first to encourage his friend, and he said this. He said, be of good heart, brother, for God will, give, for God will either assuage the fury of the flame, or else strengthen us to abide in it. He said this as the bundle of sticks caught, caught fire between them. 
Well, Latimer had his turn, and he faced, and he turned to Ridley. And he raised, his vo- he raised his voice so Ridley could hear, and he said, Be of good courage, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust will never be put out. Think of the Mary, uh, the uh, Jane, who is a king or queen for nine days. Her faith in Jesus Christ also eventually cost her her life, and there was a priest that would try to convert convert her, and try to realize that it is faith plus tradition plus practice for righteousness. And the priest actually left Jane days before her death and said, truth is that we should never meet again unless, unless God turn your heart. Well, Lady Jane responded and said, no, matter of fact, unless God changes your heart to Christ, we will never see each other again. I look to be saved by no other reason but by the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. And lastly, we think of Martin Luther, who at the Diet of Worms, it wasn't his, uh, at his death, but when he made the, uh, the famous words, when he said, upon God's word, I will stand. He said, unless I'm convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So help me God, here I stand, I can do no other. When we think of opposition, we think of moments like that, and they are incredible. Praise God for men and women that have stood in the face of outward persecution. But this morning, as we look at Habakkuk, may God encourage us and help us realize those are incredible moments, but there are only a handful of believers. When you think relatively of how many believers, only a handful that God will give that opportunity, that, that type of opportunity to express boldness for Christ. But listen, every one of us, every day, will come to the precipice of, e- of deciding either to deny Jesus Christ and the truth of his word, or by faith, believe it. And so Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, gives us a fantastic instruction and encouragement to know how to stand firm in a moment when we are tempted to deny the goodness of God. In 2 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. For we were afflicted on every turn, fighting without and fear within. So there is this fear within us. Almost, like I said earlier, on a daily basis that we have to fight, we have to recognize, and we have to trust that God's Word is sufficient. We need to realize the outward pressure to publicly deny our confession that Christ is Lord. That is, that will take boldness, but the inward pressure to privately deny our conviction that Christ's word is sufficient is also, it's a miraculous stand of faith. 
And so by God's grace this morning, my prayer is that for every one of us, the Lord would strengthen us and give us boldness to stand. Especially, like we've been looking in the book of Job, especially when our understanding of who God is and our perception of what God does, when they do not harmonize, it's that moment where we have to trust that God is still good and God is great and God's word is worthy to be trusted. And that's what Job, we've been studying Job for quite some time. That's what Job faced in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, and, or actually the whole book of Habakkuk. We learn about a prophet who had to make the decision by faith to trust that God is good, even when his perception of God, of God's work, was inconsistent with his understanding of how God should work. So, you have in your notes or on the outline, there's three things we want to bring out. One is the courageous response of the child of God. We'll learn that in verse 1. Courageous response. Number two is the complete relevance of the Word of God. And lastly, the comforting revelation of the promise of God. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. We've heard it read, but I just want to read it again. Scripture says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so Habakkuk right now, as I mentioned, what Habakkuk sees God doing and how, what Habakkuk knows God to be that's irreconcilable at this moment in Habakkuk's life. He's not understanding God's ways. He's wrestling with God and if you'll just look, just glance at chapter 1, there's a few things that, that we learn from the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1. And we learn the, the challenge that Habakkuk faces. The first one is the verse, chapter 1, verse 2, when Scripture says, Habakkuk says, he's crying out to God. He says, oh Lord, how long? How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you do not save? And so Habakkuk, he thought God... His, his conclusion at this point is God just lacks power because he does not save. But also Habakkuk was wrestling with God's compassion. It's God, God must lack compassion because he tolerates wickedness. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Habakkuk says, Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong?" Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, and justice is therefore perverted. And so he's, he's wrestling with why does God tolerate wickedness? And he's coming up to con the conclusion that oh, God just must not lack compassion. Or lastly, in chapter 1, we'll see that maybe it's just Habakkuk in his mindset right now is maybe God just lacks interest. Verse 13, in chapter 1, Habakkuk says, you, your eyes are, are pure eyes and you do not see evil and you cannot look at wrong. Why then do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So these questions, you see why this, chapter 2 is such a courageous response? 
It's like, have, have we ever come to a point, have you ever come to a point and asked the question, is God in control? You don't have to shake your head yes. I mean, you can just internalize, okay, maybe a few times. Is God in control? Because it seems like he just lacks the power to, to serve in this situation or to rescue us out of this situation. Is God in control or does God care? How many times have you been tempted to think that there, God is just not interested in what I'm going through or what my family is going through? Or even, is God good? These are questions that, form, that can easily formulate in our mind. And as, as we've been learning uh, from the book of Job, as Andy reminded us, it's so helpful to hear that it is not therapeutic to just have these questions and out of anger express them to God. It does not make us feel better. I think that's one of the most helpful things that I've been meditating on when we go through the book of Job. Our temptation, the temptation is to say, I'm just justified in my anger because God obviously is not, is not doing everything that he says he is doing. And so we are tempted to respond out of anger. But I don't see that in chapter 2 of verse 1. Notice verse 1 again. There's three things that Habakkuk says. His courageous response is that he stands... He watches and he listens. Notice again verse 1 of chapter 2. I will take my stand at the watch post. I will station myself on the tower. We learn here Habakkuk in the midst of a, of a moment where internally he's at odds. He's, he's, he's not understanding what God is doing. He says, you know, I will stand. Just as we've heard some of the uh, men and women of, of, of God in years past took their stand, we are at a moment almost daily where we genuinely have to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to stand firm on your word. And it's, it's extremely difficult to do. And so that's why I think verse 1 is a courageous response from, the child of God, from a child of God. Ephesians 6.13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. All right, so how do we do that? How do we literally stand firm? What does that mean? Habakkuk demonstrates that by getting this image of, of climbing up and getting on top of a watchtower. So he changes his perspective. We've all seen a, a you know, big tower. If anyone has uh, gone to Duke football as much as I've gone to Duke football games over the years, I absolutely love Duke football. One of the things uh, I've noticed at halftime, uh, and I do watch the football game, so it's not, I'm not going there just for halftime, but at halftime the band comes out. What do they do? The band director uh, uh, walks up or climbs up on this high bandstand, I guess, for lack of a better word. I'm not sure the name of that, so we'll call it a bandstand. I'm not sure. But high enough so he or she can see the whole field. The perspective changes. We have that, we have that image of, of just getting above our problems. And Habakkuk is saying, I will stand. And so how do we do that as Christians? How do we change our perspective? 
you know, our perspective sometimes is very helpful. Many of us have been at a, at a uh, you know, again, a sporting event or some event to where the, another vantage point or binoculars helped. They helped clarify what was going on. We could see it better. You know, or now they have these large screens to help us. But we need, we need another perspective. Habakkuk needed another perspe- perspective, and so he stands firm. Notice, he doesn't just stand there. Look at verse 1, the second phrase. He says, and watch. He goes, and look out to see what he will say to me. So the demeanor here, the posture of a child of God who in the face of severe opposition, again, it's, it may not be your life is on the line physically, but your faith is being tested And the response that we should have as believers is not only stand firm on the Scripture, but to watch and expect and anticipate that God will answer. Psalm 73, verse 14, the psalmist cries out, he says, For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now notice what the psalmist says. Listen. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And so the psalmist, similar to Habakkuk, the psalmist was looking at to his left and to his right, seeing what he didn't understand. He was, he was envious of the wicked prospering. That's what Habakkuk was envious of. Like, God, why are you letting wicked to continue? Why are you doing this? So the psalmist said it wasn't until he went into the sanctuary of God, it wasn't until then that he could understand it. For us, it's not until we look to God's word that we will have clarity as to what God is doing. It's very practically, very practical, go to the word of God. Ask for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously, and he will give it to him. And so Habakkuk says, I will stand. I will station myself here. I will be here, and I will watch, and I will wait. And so there's just three or four very practical ways that we do this. How do we? It's like, okay, how do we watch? How How do we stand and wait and listen? Have you ever noticed the temptation there is when we go through a significant trial, especially over a long period of time, is our, our eagerness to be a part of the a, a body of Christ can sometimes be challenged. We are tempted to pull back just a little when we go through certain trials. If we, do, if we, if we face temptation in the flesh, we'll do that. The encouragement to stand, how do we stand, how do we watch is, one is just continue to be active in the local church. Trust that God is, will use the church body. Continue to be active in prayer. Our temptation will be to express our anger towards God. That's our temptation. Our flesh would want to express anger. Instead, plead with God, Lord, help me understand. 
Help me understand what you're doing. And as we've already mentioned, the importance of, God, the, the importance of God's Word. Remain active in your, your daily Bible reading. Just remain active in the Word of God. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we may have hope. All right. So not only does he expectantly watch, but again, notice he's, he's eager to listen. At the end of verse 1, after he says, he look, he's, Habakkuk says, I'll look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. He's going to God and say, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to listen for you. That will determine, that will help me determine how I'm supposed to process this. That will help me know what to say. Micaiah, uh, again, he's another prophet in the Old Testament. I almost said one of my favorites. I just said that about Habakkuk. But this is also one of my favorite statements from Micaiah. When Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That's 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. And James encourages us and commands us to know this. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Angry. And so not only are we to listen, stand, and watch, but we also just to be ready to respond, be ready to serve however the Lord calls us to do, to, to serve. So this was the courageous response. Stand, watch, and listen. Look at verse 2. Habakkuk says in regard to the complete relevance of the Word of God, that's what we're looking at. Habakkuk 2 says this, verse 2. The Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I find verse 2 and 3 extremely hope-filled. Verse 1, I find encouraging that, okay, that's how I am to respond. But then verse 2, what are we waiting for? What is Habakkuk so eager to wait? And it's for God's Word. Again, notice those first three or four, five words in verse 2. And the Lord answered me. The Lord hears our prayer. The Lord is actively listening. It is not that God is uninterested in our lives. Habakkuk cries out and God answered. And notice what he said. God says, write the vision. Make it plain. Uh, others will read it and others will obey. And so just write this down, Habakkuk. Our tendency is, again, is when we are angry, when we're questioning God, suffering trials or going through temptations, we tend to serve Christ less. But God is 
is urging him back. Listen, you, I want to put you into service. I'm about to say something, and you need to write it down. One of the best, most hope-filled ways when we are suffering is to thank God for the gifts that he has given us and then just ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm, I still want to glorify you in the way that I serve. God still uses Habakkuk in an intense trial in his life. So write it down. Now, we're about to look at a, a, the, the doctrine of the Word of God, the inspiration of Scripture. The doctrine of Scripture is in verses 2 and 3. But just consider that moment. Write it down. Have you ever been, have you ever had a conversation with someone Maybe you're encouraging them. Maybe you're giving them directions. Maybe whatever it is. And they say to you, okay, hold on. Let me, let me write this down. Let me get a piece of paper. Let me get a pen. Whenever someone says, hey, oh, just a second. Let me just write this down. Personally, for me, there's a, like, I get nervous all of a sudden. I think, okay, well, Andy, whatever I'm about to say next better be important. Because this person is going to write it down. Well, you... The, the clarity that God gives Habakkuk, there's no doubt that what he is about to say is extremely useful. And it's useful not only for Habakkuk, but for centuries forever. But for the, the, the rest of eternity, Habakkuk is, about, Habakkuk is about to hear the word of God. And, and God does this. In John chapter uh, 13, he says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place. This is in 13 verse 19. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And so God is going to take Habakkuk and he's going to care for Habakkuk and minister to him, to his unbelief, to his wavering, to the, to the temptation, to uh, sin against God. He's going to comfort him by his own word. And Habakkuk's going to be amazed. Think back to Scripture, how many times God writes down Scripture for us. Deuteronomy 10, verses 1 and 2, he says, At the time the Lord said to me, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of, of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. In Exodus, he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8 says, And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. And in Jeremiah, we'll finish with Jeremiah, it says, Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he spoke to him. So God, in his infinite wisdom, in his, in his infinite grace and mercy to us and to generations of Christians, he saw to it that his word was written down so that we could have access to the word of God. So Habakkuk writes, he's, he's commanded to write it down. But notice there's a few things. So number one, on the inspiration of Scripture, number one, 
it is God-breathed. The Word of God came from God Himself. It's also accessible. Look at verse 2 again. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. God's word is accessible. Now we already learned, you know, heard from the very beginning these men who died for the, the, the sake of getting the word of God in their own language. But you know, God's word, God's word is accessible to every person. God will open up our eyes to see the clarity of Scripture. And so he says, write the vision and make it, make it plain. So it's accessible, but it's also, God's Word is also necessary. It's necessary in, in here in verse 2 when he says, so, that he, so he may run who reads it. It was a warning. What God was telling Habakkuk was not only to comfort Habakkuk, but it was going to be a warning to all who read it. God's Word is clear. We need the Scripture. Uh, Romans 10 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. But notice, God's Word is also exact. It's very precise. Galatians tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So what was the fullness of time? It was the exact time when, when the prophets, were, every pro- prophecy was fulfilled. At the right time, Jesus Christ came. God tells Habakkuk, write it down, make it plain, so he may run who reads it. For, the, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It is effective. God's Word is effective. We know God's Word from, how, from childhood. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So God's Word, is, it's effective. It's also trustworthy. Notice verse 3. It, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not de- delay. Actually, in, earlier in verse 3, it, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. God's word is trustworthy. The sum of your word is truth, the psalmist says. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And so we can trust God's word. And lastly, it is certain. It will, notice at the end of verse 3, if it seems slow, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not delay. In 2 Peter, we know that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is comforting Habakkuk, saying, This is my word. Trust it. Wait for it. So helpful. And that, this is exactly what we need to hear. Think about on a daily basis how often that we are faced with the temptation to, or with the choice to either trust our own perception or our own understanding or 
to wait and trust that God's word is sufficient. God's word is certain. God's word will bring hope. So I was sharing with a, a, a brother in Christ here at the church recently as, they, as he was going through a significant trial. And one of the things we talked about is how faithful God is. And the world would sometimes try to minimize the trial and minimize the pain, almost disassociate from the trial to be able to endure. Like, okay, the more you can distance yourself from the pain and the trial, that's how you're going to cope. God's Word is not that way. We don't need to minimize the trials. Many of us, if not all of us in our life, will go through excruciatingly difficult trials. It's not to minimize the trial, but it is to maximize the power and the goodness of God to comfort and strengthen you through that trial, to, to give you faith to believe that God is in control, He is loving, He is good. And so God is reminding Habakkuk, wait for it. Wait for God. Wait for, trust God's word. Now, notice verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Again, this is the plight of the wicked. It's, it, it is those that, that do not fear God, fear God, their soul is puffed up, it's prideful. God addresses Habakkuk. God, Habakkuk is trying to say, God, do you, I mean, what is going on? Why do you let evil continue? God is reminding Habakkuk, no, I know. Their soul is puffed up. They are prideful. But notice what God says to Habakkuk. But the righteous shall live by faith. What an amazing truth. It's the comforting revelation of the promise of God that the righteous will live by faith. What a, we just, we heard and we saw the testimony through baptism of that truth radically changing one's life. And that is what God is encouraging and sharing with Habakkuk. The ultimate hope and peace will come from this promise. The fact that the righteous will live by faith, will be sustained by faith. Again, we've We've talked about the definition of hope. That is so hopeful. The definition, definition of hope is a feeling in the heart that the future is bright based on the promises of God. And as Habakkuk is able, by God's grace, to get outside or just kind of look, have a, have a unique perspective on his trials or on the current day, he's able to see hope. He's able to see that, yes, God is in control and God will be faithful, and he will sustain the righteous. At the end of the book of Habakkuk, which most of us uh, have heard at some point, we're familiar with the end of Habakkuk says, Habakkuk says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, 
Though the produce of the olive fail, and the, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God, the God of my salvation. That is because God has been faithful to say His Word is dependable. His Word is exact. His Word is certain. And the righteous shall live by faith. So faith gives us a true, clear perspective of what God is doing. This whole section here, that that response, uh, God's response, chapter 2, verse 4, It's an answer to a question that Abraham asked in the book of Genesis. Remember when Abraham was told that that God will destroy Sodom. He would destroy Gomorrah. And Abraham cried out. And he stepped forward and said, God, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? It's a question. God is holy and God is faithful. God is just. Will he really sweep away everyone? Is there any hope? God answers Habakkuk. And God answers Abraham in his answer that he gave to Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. You know, Abraham asked that question. It was Abraham's son, Isaac, who asked the question, I see everything, but where is the lamb? In the New Testament, John reminds us or points out, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, takes, covers the sin. And so praise the Lord that the righteous will live by faith. Now think about this for a moment. Habakkuk was seeing what was going on, but he demonstrates for us not that we cannot have a question, but yet it's the way we ask the question, and it's our eagerness of who we're asking the question to. Habakkuk didn't look to himself. He looked to God. He said, God, help me. I will look. I will w- wait. I will stand firm. I will watch, and I will wait to see what God tells me and what I, how I'm to respond. God's response is repeated three times in the New Testament. It's repeated in Galatians, Hebrews, and Romans that the just shall live by faith. The graciousness of God to comfort Habakkuk with one of the most profound truths that, and, and the, the truth that we today are standing here in the, without fear of condemnation through faith in Jesus Christ, it comes from this truth that the, the promise that righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, as we come to this text, realize that, yes, 
the percentage, the likelihood of any one of us, it's not zero, but the likelihood of any one of us being burned at the stake or, or dying because of our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's pretty, pretty small, at least right now. But the likelihood of any one of us on any daily basis denying the goodness of God and trusting Scripture, it is extremely high. And we must realize that we need the courage to trust God's Word just as men and women of the past and still in this current day need the courage to stand faithful to Christ at the risk of their own life. We will need, all of us need, the grace of God to stand firm in those moments. One of the most powerful or most encouraging testimonies of church history is from this verse is when, you know, Martin Luther, the story of Martin Luther, and how for so long he saw and knew the holiness of God. And he knew that God was righteous. He knew that God could not look on sin But yet, just as we heard, similar to what we heard in today's testimony through baptism, Luther was trying and believed that if only he could live a life worthy of righteousness, then he would be okay. But the reality, he never could. He realized that he was a sinful man and could never meet the holy, righteous demands that God has for him. But it was this scripture, it was this very truth, the righteous shall live by faith, is when Luther made the connection between the justice of God and the righteousness. And he said, the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Luther finally realized by God's grace that it was the righteousness of Christ. It was faith in Christ that saved him. And so for all of us, may we just be encouraged and realize that the message to Habakkuk is the same message to us, that the righteous will live by faith. And let's pray that God would give us that message and give us the joy to proclaim that message as we leave. Father, we want to thank you Thank you so much for your word. Father, we want to thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to Habakkuk. Lord, as Habakkuk waited for you, as he watched, as he looked to you, as he waited to respond, Lord, you shared with him the unfailing word of God that the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith. Father, I pray that you would encourage every one of us to trust you, to look to your word, to look to you before we respond. We pray that you would increase our hope, increase our faith. And Father, we also ask that for anyone, Lord, that is trusting in their own righteousness, their own good works, Lord, we pray that you would convict them and Help them to see that there is no way that they could please a holy God apart from Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would kindly open their eyes and give them mercy and grace to see and confess that you are Lord. And Lord, we ask that also that you would 
remind us to take this message that the just shall live by faith. Take it. Remind us to take that message and to run with it as we go throughout the week, as we go throughout our lives, that we would proclaim and share that hope with others. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.